0: forwarding notifications. Hold on, hold on. Okay, Um, don't you hate that? (laughs) Wasn't that terrible? Who would do something like that to people? I was out to dinner not too long ago at a nice restaurant, and you know the nicer restaurants, they turn on the lights for you, right? It's mood lighting, Everyone loves that, right? Softens the edges. You don't see the broccoli in your teeth or whatever like that. Romantic, right? Lights are down low. I was sitting there having dinner, and I, I noticed this interesting phenomenon. So I have to have my sound, my, my, my sound men here, my, my tech team, help me out with this real quick. Let's kill the lights real quick. And this is what I'm experiencing because it's nice and dark. And as I looked over at the table next to me, I saw a table of five people, mom and dad, and three kids, and I saw this. Around the table, five of these glowing faces, just these heads floating in (laughs) midair, lit by this strange white light coming off of their devices. No conversation, just these glow faces sitting around a table. You can turn back on the lights. You see it everywhere now, almost as people walk. We're going to have to put in special lanes in our sidewalks for people who aren't to be bothered from looking up. I saw a great Facebook post the other day. It says, Does anyone have any plans to go anywhere cool this weekend and stare at your phones? I thought that is really, really good, isn't it? And more and more and more, we're just seeing this. And honestly, it is frustrating, but... Perhaps the most annoying part is that I find myself doing it, too. I find it frustrating, but then I realize that I can be that guy. That I'm out to dinner with my family or with my friends, and all of a sudden I'm looking at my phone or maybe, you know, driving in a car. You guys probably do the exact same thing, right? You hop in the car with somebody and you go for a ride and you don't talk to them. You're just on a phone staring at a screen, or we go somewhere to do something, or, or even this one. This is crazy, right? Some of you guys, this is you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but it's church, so you know it's you, and don't <laughs> lie to yourself. can't even watch a movie at home. You stream in Netflix, and the whole time you're still scrolling through Facebook or Pinterest or something, aren't you? There's these glow faces all the time, never to be bothered, always looking something, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Vine, Snapchat, Periscope. There are a million, and there'll be a million more. There's going to be like 60 more of them that will appear sooner or later in the future, right? Just keeps coming up and coming up. Actually, Periscope I really like. If you guys have a smartphone, download <laughs> Periscope. Dang it. I just ruined it. Download Periscope if you have a smartphone, because sooner or later, I think I'm going to actually use that to talk with people. But some of you do the exact same way, and you're frustrated like I am. You see it, and you kind of make fun of it, but you know if you're completely honest. Oftentimes, you can be one of these glow faces. It's a problem that all of us have, all of us can do, where we're interested in not what's going on, but what else is going on. Not present with the people we're with, but looking for something else at the same time. I think that we think we're doing a good job when it comes to friendship or connectivity. Because we have all these different avenues. I read what you posted on Facebook. I saw what you posted on Instagram. I liked it. I commented. Man, I retweeted, right? And we can feel as if we're, we're generating this real relationship between people, but the research actually shows the exact opposite. Recently done by the General Social Survey, they found asking people about the number of close friends they have, it had dropped consistently over the last two decades. Consistently throughout the years that they've done this study, the number of people, when they say, how many close friends do you have, has consistently decreased, although our connectivity with all these different devices is increasing. Even more interesting, and maybe even scary, is the number of people who said they had zero close friends. That number tripled in the last decade. Tripled. And when asking people, How many people would you call a confidant? A confidant, which is just a fancy word for saying someone. You really, man, you share everything, right? You would put your trust in. The most common answer they got back was zero. Zero. If you go on Google, I don't know if you guys ever jump on there, but now they have the whole autofill feature, right? It fills in trying to guess what you're going to say. If you type in, I have, usually the first or second result is, No friends. No friends. That's what kicks up on Google. Although our world is getting more and more connective, more and more interactive, more and more comment and know everything about each other, the number of people we're actually connected to is dropping off sharply. The fact is that although we have hundreds, some of us thousands of Facebook friends, lots of Twitter followers, people who check us out on Instagram or whatever other device we might be using, whatever other platform we might be looking at, oftentimes the number of friends we actually have are decreasing. So I ask you this question. How many friends do you have? Not how many people do you know. Not how many people follow you on Instagram or Twitter. How many friends do you have? And just for conversation's sake, let's let's say this. A friend is somebody who really knows about you. Not just the surface stuff. Someone who knows more about your personality. Someone who can tell when you're having a bad day. And not only that, but let's even define it a little farther and say a friend is somebody who's close enough to you that they can call you out. They have enough access to your life that they can say, hey, what's going on? Because you don't seem the same as you were or something's off. How many friends do you have? I asked myself that question, right? And it was convicting as I looked over. it. I'm thinking, how many friends do I have? Kind of actually a little scary, right? How many friends do I have? With our current platforms, our current society, we can turn into glow faces. Because the reality is, it's easy to control how much someone sees of my life through this tiny little screen. It's easy for me to control how much of my life they see or what portion of my life they see. And it's easy for me to crop out parts of that picture or parts of that post or to change my tone in a way or maybe shift my words and just choreograph it perfectly so that you see exactly what I wanted you to. But the reality is, and the statistics are showing, real friendships are not forming screen to screen. They form face to face. Real friendships are not forming screen to screen. Number of friends going up and up and up. Number of actual friends down and down and down. Real friendships are formed face to face. Now the thing you might be thinking is, Cameron, why are you worried about my social problems, right? I thought this was church. I thought we'd come here to talk about Jesus, right, about God. Why are you worried about the fact that maybe I don't have that many friends? What does it really matter, right? This isn't this big of a deal, and I know that I'm awkward and I might have some social problems, but I don't understand why you're picking on me tonight. I came to hear about Jesus. It just so happens that this conversation is integral to our faith. It just so happens that, that Scripture is not silent in regards to this, and in fact, it has a lot to say about it in regards to Friendship. It says this in the very, very beginning of the Bible, right? If we go all the way back to the the Genesis story, right, of of God and creation. He makes stuff, he makes stuff, he makes stuff. And every single time he makes something, he says, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. And the very first time we hear God utter the words, not good, not good, was in Genesis 2.18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Think about this. Adam walked with God daily. Adam was in close, face-to-face relationship with God. And yet God said still, it isn't good that he's by himself. That's telling, right? Most of us would be like, I can't even imagine that close of relationship to God. Yet God still said, there's something not quite perfect with this. Not good. There needs to be another person for them to share their life with. Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived, okay? This is be like King David's son, super, super rich. He kind of had a woman problem, so overlook that for a second if you're wondering. But super wise dude altogether, prayed for wisdom, God gave it to him. Listen to these words that he says in Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is this interesting book that he just kind of shared as he got older in his life. And this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Man, he says two is better than one in a multitude of ways, and he says, and in fact, three is better than two. That's one of the problems with people using this all the time in those marriage vows. They always reference this, but it's kind of, it kind of gets creepier there at the end if you use it for marriage, right? And three, Two is better, and three is even better. And I'm like, wait a second. Nope, we're not going to include that part. It's actually about friendship, so just in that. But three is better than two. Man, Solomon's saying the fact that as the wisest man who ever lived, it's better to be with people. It's better to have friends. It's better to walk with somebody through hard times. He says, when a night gets cold, man, when an enemy's coming, you want to have someone who has your back. You want to have someone who has your side. One of my jobs as your pastor is to make sure that you're moving in a means by which you are maturing spiritually. Man, we talk a lot about Jesus. We have a lot of salvation in our church. That's amazing. One of the things, my next thing is just trying to say, now, where do you go from here? What are good things you need to root your life in? And I'm telling you this. I believe the Bible points to the fact that friends are a non negotiable in faith. Friends are a non negotiable in faith. And non negotiable, again, negotiate, right? You can argue it. I'm saying it is an unarguable point. Friends are a non negotiable in faith. Think about this we believe in a Trinitarian God. A God who is three in one. I love this. Andy Stanley, a great pastor, he said, living life alone does not accurately reflect the one whose image you bear. He says, we serve a God of community, so how on earth could you say that you're going to walk this out alone? We literally serve a God who is three persons in one, and yet you think you can stand alone. The reality is, is we need someone to walk with us in our faith. And that being said, not just anyone. I'm not just saying you need a friend. You just need somebody to spend your time with. That's not the case because we know the reality is that every single friend is not going to be equal on the scale of how much they help our faith, right? Absolutely. My mother, back when I was younger, one of her favorite comments used to say to me, and I kind of hated it at the time, but I realized it was true. She would say, Cameron, and then she would say it to all of our people in our youth ministry as well. She'd say, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And she would repeat that over and over and over to me. Cameron, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. A wise mother realizes the fact that every single friend you put in your life pulls you. That's what friendship is. It's influence. It's people who are connected to you. And what you need to imagine in your mind is anybody who you call friend is pulling on you. They are tugging you in a direction. Every one of them, doesn't matter who it is. So we know the fact is, then we need to pick friends who are pulling us in the right direction. Let me tell you, it is going to be extremely hard for you if you started a relationship with Jesus, you're starting to walk this out, and every one of your friends are pulling in the opposite direction. You're going to say, I don't understand. I just feel like it's so hard to keep going in my face. I don't understand. Every one of your friends is pulling you in the opposite direction. You're straining and struggling against them. You need to find friends who are on the opposite side, pulling you towards where you know you need to go. Wise friends, the right friends, faithful friends. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. There's some wisdom right there, right? Some of you guys, you need to print that out and put that on your mirror in the morning, don't you? Some of you guys got some fools who you've been friends with in the past, don't you? Let's just be real, right? Some of you guys like, yeah. There are a whole bunch of people in my life that if we be real honest, right? Fools. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Maybe you need to put that in your mirror and think, maybe this Friday night I'm going to hang out with a different group of people. Friends pull us. So we need ones that are pulling us the right way. I'm not saying that you can't be friends with those people just because they don't believe in Jesus, but I'm saying that you need influence. You need people who are close around you who are pulling you in the right direction. Friends are non-negotiable in faith. And what we say at Acts Church is this. This is kind of our, our application of this. It's something that we started in this last year, and it's something that we're just going to continue to roll through with. So first of all, friends are non-negotiable in faith. You understand that. But if you're part of Acts Church, what we say here is we say everyone needs a high five. Who doesn't love a high five, Right? I mean, who doesn't like a high five? Turn real quick to whoever's next to you and give them a high five. I guarantee your night's going to get better. Give them a high five. Boom. You instantly feel better about your night. You just received encouragement. You feel like, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I am doing okay. I'm doing okay. I got a high five tonight. There's Something beautiful about that, right? We say everyone needs a high five, and what that stands for is HI5. Human interaction with five key people. That we say friends are non-negotiable, and we say, it's your responsibility to get a high five at Acts Church. Human interaction with five key people. Here's what it looks like. You're going to say, who are those five people, Cameron? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you all about them tonight. Five key people. First of all, three companions. Three companions. These are people that are walking with you in faith. These are those friends that we're talking about who are pulling We need three of them that are pulling us in the right direction. Three people who are walking with us in faith. People who are about at the same level we're at, right? We're we're just walking through this. We don't got everything figured out. But they're just people who are walking towards the same goal that I'm walking towards. And they're people that maybe when I start to stumble and fall down, they say, no, come on, man. And they encourage me and pull me forward. These are people that you share your life with. You share your experiences with. You share your faith with. There are three people that you trust deeply that have access to your life. Think about this. Jesus had this. And this should be telling for us, because I don't know if you notice or not, but kind of the big focus of Christianity, Jesus. Okay? So when we see something that Jesus does, it stands out to us. Wait a second, this is important. Jesus had this. It says this in Mark 14, 32 through 34. And this is kind of right in the middle of the story, but the details are here I need you to catch. He says they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. This is all 12 disciples. He then took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see, he had 12 that he hung out with. But then at this time of need, he says, all you guys just kind of hang out here. And he says, hey, Peter, James, John, come with me a little farther. And he walks a little farther down, and all of a sudden, maybe not like it's a facade, but that leader attitude that he had kind of breaks down just one layer less. And he says, man, my heart is breaking right now. Would you guys stay closer with me here? Because you're my three really close companions. You know my heart. Jesus had this. We see him also, he takes these same three guys on a separate excursion to the Mount of Transfiguration. This is one of the most amazing moments in Scripture in which Jesus actually like transfigures into his, 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 his otherworldly body that we see um, it was Elijah and, and uh, Moses, if I remember correctly, who, who end up coming down as well. It's this amazing Holy Spirit experience, and he only takes these three men with him, these three closest friends, to be able to experience it with him. You need three people, listen, that you spend an unfair amount of time with. An unfair amount of time with. That's healthy. You need three people that you spend more time with than other people. People who really do know you. And there might be friends who get frustrated by them. And be like, you know, it's kind of weird. Is this kind of really fair how much time you spend with them? And you say, yeah, I know. Jesus did the exact same thing. Because he had three companions that he walked through life with. You know what the other good thing about this is? is then you have three people to share your feelings with instead of 444 on Facebook. That hurt? Anybody? Ouch. I'm just saying, we need three or four close friends who we share our, our hurts with instead of going out and having to put them on Facebook because we have no one to talk to you about our feelings. A lot of times I know people get, get depressed. Oh, I hate these rants on Facebook. I hate when people post on Facebook. And I get so too. But then sometimes, you know what, I take a step back and I think, you know what, I kind of feel sorry for this person because do they really not have anyone in their life to share this with? So faith, Facebook is their best outlet for their frustration or Facebook is the best outlet for their hurt. You need three companions who are walking with you in life who you share these hard times with. You share these tough times. You share these great times with. So three companions. Second, you need one investor. One investor. And this is someone who's a little farther down the road of faith than you. Someone who's had a little more time, spent a little bit more. Oftentimes they're older, but that doesn't even mean the case. It doesn't mean that they need to be physically older. Just maybe they're spiritually older. They spent more time in this walk than you have. And they've gone through some things. There's somebody who when you look at you said, I wouldn't mind being a little bit like them. Not that you need to mimic all their different characteristics. Not that you're going to try to become them because our goal is to become like Jesus, not like somebody else. But there's someone you say, look at their life. I wouldn't mind being a little more like them. And what that investor does is they believe in you. And at times when you're going through something hard, they invest in you and they say, I've walked through the same thing, don't worry. There's light on the other side of this. I know it's a tough time, but I've seen God come through in it. It's someone who gives you wise counsel. It's somebody who can help set you straight. And listen, this is important, and and this is going to sound arrogant, but it's not. In very many situations in your life, I could make better decisions for your life than you can. And you say, Cameron, wow, that sounds arrogant. No, the reason is is because I'm not going to take your emotions into consideration, and sometimes you need somebody who can factually look at it and say, you know what? You're letting all these emotions cloud this. This is just straight up dumb. Or this is not wise. Or this is just foolishness. Somehow you're not seeing it. And it's somebody who maybe we give access to our life who's walked farther down this before. And when you start walking down something, they're like, this is dangerous. I'm just going to call you out on this right now. Not saying you've got to do exactly what I'm saying, but let me just tell you, this is dangerous ground. These are people who they can save us a world of hurt. One of my favorite quotes from forever ago, I believe, um, yeah, I'm not even going to say who it was because I'm probably going to say it wrong. But just off the top of my head, I love it. It's an old statement that says, learn from other people's mistakes because you won't live long enough to do them all yourself. That's wise counsel, right? Somebody says, I've walked that. I know that. Trust me, it's not worth it. Someone who's lived a, a life worth trusting. Someone who we can trust. Now some of you will immediately push back and say, I don't need this. I don't need that person. I'm doing okay on my own. And that's pride. That would be the sin that'll take you far away from God and destroy your life. That pridefulness that you have of saying, I don't, I don't need that person. I can figure it out. Danger. Let me just interimly step in and be that person, that investor for you, and tell you that that mindset is what will get you close to the flames of hell. Paul, one of the greatest men in the Bible, arguably probably the second most uh, forceful person at advancing the gospel in the Bible, Paul needed this. Paul needed an investor. It says in Acts nine twenty six through twenty seven, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, and the reason why he's Saul here is because this is right after his conversion, right as he's getting started. It says he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had, been, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Barnabas steps in as an investor and he vouches for Paul and it creates the foundation of the relationship that he has with the disciples Barnabas starts him off and works with him as he's he's kind of cutting his teeth in ministry. Barnabas is the one who kind of sets him off. And at a time later on, they do split and they go two different directions and that's fine. But Barnabas was that investor for that season. An investor believes in you and their belief in you will make you more bold. Oftentimes, unfortunately, but this is just the reality, when you find somebody who is going to be an investor, they're not going to come at you. You're going to have to pursue them. People who are wise, people who've lived an honorable life, let me tell you, people want their time. The Bible says that, that people who are smart, they draw wisdom from people. And what it means is you have to pursue that person. Don't waste their time, but if you take and you, and you work at them and say, would you just possibly be willing to talk to me about this? Would you be willing to, to have a conversation about this? Would you be will, willing, excuse me, oftentimes you get these amazing nuggets of truth from them. Pull wisdom from them oftentimes you're going to be the one who's pursuing that relationship. So three companions, one investor, last. One person to invest in. One person to invest in. This is a person who's younger in their faith. They could be physically younger, they could be older. But somebody who's beginning to walk their faith and you've walked down a few more paths than them. And you don't step into this as somebody who's arrogant or someone who has it all figured out. But you simply want to encourage them in their faith. That you look at them and you share positives with them when you see them. And you start building a relationship. Let me tell you, you are not an investor finding someone to invest in if you just walk up to somebody who you have no relationship with and try to call them out on something. It's not called an investor, it's called another word. And we can't say that at church. That's not an investor. An investor develops a relationship with somebody, and they realize they care about them. And they encourage them, and they push them forward, passing on wisdom that you've found, helping them become more like Jesus, pointing them to Scripture, sharing love with them. Paul realized this as he was going on. We just saw how Paul needed someone to invest in him and Barnabas. As he gets older, he realizes he needs someone to invest in. He does the very same thing. It actually says at the beginning of Timothy, he's writing to his, his, his like son in the faith, Timothy, this person who he's investing in. And he says this to him. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And in 1 Timothy four twelve, he says this to him. This is a great man, someone to invest in language shared with him. He says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And he's just pushing Timothy forward. You see how he's doing it? He's saying, man, don't, don't, don't listen to those people who are trying to slow you down. Man, be an example in everything you do. And he's encouraging them on, encouraging him. Man, don't forget, just keep pushing in. Live that life that you're called to be. As we develop in faith, we realize this. What's been given to us wasn't just given to us. Anything given to us was given to us so that we might pass it on to someone else. I started realizing that earlier in my faith where when I would learn something and I would hear something, I would look for opportunities to share it with other people. God pointed something out to me in my mind, I would just store it up here and all of a sudden I would run into a conversation where someone's sharing something and I'd say, you know what, I really feel like God was saying this in regards to that. Have you ever thought of that? And oftentimes that's a word that they need and it's something that I realized God's speaking to me, not just for me, but he's speaking to me so that I can be a conduit to flow to somebody else for encouragement. That a word that that changed my heart or a word that encouraged my heart, I don't just absorb and then forget, but I absorb and I keep it, and I share it with somebody else and encourage them. We begin caring and sharing for those younger people. You take and find somebody, someone who you think might be that person, and begin to walk down a relationship with them, and you'll see. If they're the person you're going to invest in, they'll realize that you're an investor and they'll begin pursuing you back. They'll realize it, and they'll begin asking questions of you, and they'll actually develop that relationship. So you're not just throwing stuff at them. Friends, friends are a non-negotiable in faith. And if you're at Axe Church, even if you're not, if you said, "You know, this isn't my church." I'm telling you, the best advice I can give you is that you find a high five. You find five people who you can share your life with—three companions, one to invest. And one for you to invest in. So let's go back to this question one more time. How many friends do you have? I'm saying you need a high five. How many friends do you have? Are you missing one of those categories? Are you missing two of those categories? Are you missing all three of those categories? Now, I'm not saying you're going to be able to wrap this thing up tonight. When we get up and we stand up in a few minutes, you're not going to be like, hey, hey, would you be companion? Would you invest in me? Can I invest in you? It's going to take longer than that. That's okay. But you need a high five. I'm telling you that if you're going to live out your faith, if it's not just something that's going to be about today, if it's not just something to get through the summer of 2015, but if it's something that's going to last, something that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life, You need friends. They are non-negotiable in faith. Did you know that the last time Jesus taught, before he left this earth, he prayed for you? Did you know that? The last time Jesus taught, he prayed for you. This is what it says in John 17, 20 through 21. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, which were his 12, right? but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. When Jesus looked ahead to the future of us, when he saw in his mind people of the Illinois Valley in 2015, He said, God, please make them one. Make them friends. Join them together. Give them unity. And as they grow in unity, they'll grow closer to us, and the world around them will say, Those people, man, those people serve that God. It says that it will actually speak of this God that we believe in to the world. Everyone needs a high five. You need a high five as our world is progressively getting less and less connected, for real, we continue to grow all these electronic connections, we continue to push into being a bunch of glow faces sitting at the table, not connecting. But as our real friendships dwindle and disappear, Christians should begin to stand out and be weird because of how many friends we have. Something that should mark us. And perhaps maybe that was even why Jesus prayed this. Maybe up until now it didn't even make that much sense. But now sitting at the cusp of the technology that we have, these words make more sense than ever. He said, let them be marked by the friendship that they have. That the world would marvel when talking to him and saying, wait a second, how many friends do you have? Wait, you get together on a weekly basis and talk with these people face to face? Wait a second, when you moved, you called some people and they actually come and helped? Wait a second, when that happened in your life or this situation went down, you sent out a text and people actually cared and responded and came to your house? And that people would say there's something strangely different about those Christians and their friends and that it would show the world that something's different in us. Who's your High five. Who are you missing from your high five? Friends are non-negotiable in faith, and the answer is not to go out and pore over your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter. Real friends are made face-to-face, not screen-to-screen. Face-to-face, not screen-to-screen. This is why we do groups at Acts Church. This is why we do subgroups and why the last two weeks, And the next four or five weeks, you're going to hear me talk about it every single week. Because the reality is, is I know that if you do not find Christian friends, people of faith who are pulling you in the right direction, your chances of success are small. Your chances of success are small. That friends are a non-negotiable in faith. At Acts Church, we say that we believe circles are better than rows. We love opportunities like this. I love teaching you. But rows only get so much done. Circles is where life happens. And circles is where all of a sudden these real conversations break out where people really let down those walls and it changes. We'll be launching subgroups at the end of this next month, about four or five weeks from today. And my goal for all of you is if you, you realize that this message connects with you, you realize I have a whole bunch of Facebook friends, don't have many real friends, how many people are your friends? And that number seems really, really close or zero. Some of you need to take a step. Go back and talk to Amy about groups. Ask her. We'll be doing a group link at the end of the month where you can come and you can meet all these different people. If that you're not into that, you can still even give your information to Amy and she tries to connect you with group leaders and have them get a hold of you, ones who she believes are going to connect with you. Or maybe you've been here for a while and you've been in groups before. And and what I'm going to tell you is, it's time for you to step up and lead a group. Our church is consistently growing. Right now, we're on a 250 person church. Every fall, we see an influx of people. And you know what happens? Tons of new people, not enough groups. Every year. We need people who've been in groups to say, I'm willing to lead a group. I don't have everything figured out, but I want to create an environment where people can find their friends because that's what this is all about. If you wonder in the next weeks why I'm going to keep passionately talking about groups to you, it's not because groups are going to change your lives. Friends are going to change your lives. And the best place to find them is in subgroups. That's why we're passionate about it. Subgroups aren't about just ingesting a, a piece of information or just getting together for a meeting. They're about finding your high five. Friends who go far beyond those borders where you walk out of a season spent with a group and you say, that person, that person's my companion. They know my life. I talk to them about my problems. I see them on Sunday morning and they ask me, how are you doing? And that's not a platitude. How are you actually doing? I'm interested. Let me just say this because I think our culture is moving towards this, and I think Acts Church, especially the people that we reach, I think this is a reality. There are a lot of you who feel that you you have nothing to offer in groups. You feel as though I don't have anything to bring to the table. Let me tell you that that is, that is a lie of the enemy in your heart. There are people, and maybe maybe this is the this is the crazy thing, right? You think I have nothing to I have nothing to offer. Maybe you think, oh, if I went there, I'd, I'd just be so awkward. And you might walk into that group, and and part of your story might be something that changes somebody's life in that group. They hear something in you, they see something in you, and it changes their life. Maybe the reality is, you walk in, and you think I'm socially awkward. I don't belong here. I'm telling you, then by the end of a month or two months or three months, you walk away with a best friend. Somebody in your faith who you are going to be talking to when you're in your 60s and 70s. And you're going to say, I met them in this silly group that we went to. And they've been one of the best friends and closest confidants I've ever had. Let me just say this you have something to offer to a group. No matter who you are, there's something God's put in you that you have to offer to that group. And not only that, but let me just challenge you one more time. Man, the risk of what could happen if you didn't far outweighs the risk of if you did. What's the worst that could happen? You go, a little awkward, a little strange. You don't. You can miss out on perhaps your best friend in your entire life. Friends are a non-negotiable in faith. Everyone needs to high-five. Real friendship is formed face-to-face and not screen-to-screen. I want to encourage you not to just be another glow face. Not to just be another glow face, but to step into opportunities to make real friendship. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for tonight. And I pray that you would spur us on. Lord, that you would challenge us to step into groups, to step into opportunities to make friends. Lord, that we know that friendship was something that you designed from the very beginning. It's a means by which we share our heart. It's a means by which we grow in our faith. God, I ask right now specifically for a group of people who are here who honestly, when they say, how many friends do you have? The real answer that comes to mind right now is zero. God, I pray that you would touch their hearts right now. And you would show them that despite the fact they might not have any in this world, that they have you right now. That you really are their friend. God, I also pray that you would give them courage and you would lovingly nudge them towards friendship. Towards groups so that they can meet people. That they would realize that they have something to offer. Or that they would realize that they're meant for a community. Jesus, I ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, bind us together just as you prayed, Jesus, before you left this earth. That you would draw us together, that our unity, our friendship, would be a testimony to the world around us of how different we are because of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Hope you have a great weekend.